Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew 24 with me. Matthew 24. And we are in week two of this series we're entitling The Last Days. And we started this last week and the whole focus of this teaching is revolving around last days, not end times, okay? The difference is last days, we believe that the last days began... After the ascension of Christ, that is, uh, Jesus accomplished his work and his ministry on earth and he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and we believe he will return again. Amen. And so now we are in this season of waiting for the Lord to return And in that waiting, striving to accomplish our mission that Jesus himself has given us to make disciples. This is where our mission statement as a church comes from. To glorify God, making mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. And so there's a piece of this that it becomes challenging. Everyone say challenging. It becomes challenging to push forward forward and persevere when we face a lot of the things going on in the world around us. And so it's important that we look at what Scripture told us to anticipate so that we are not surprised by that and so we may continue with the mission and the purpose we've been given. And that is, that is my prayer. My prayer is through this that it would be a sense of challenge for us as the church. But even further than that, that it would be a time where we would grow in confidence and in peace. Because we know what Jesus told us we should expect. So Matthew 24, this is uh, known as uh, the, a portion of the Olivet Discourse that took place on the Mount of Olives. And specifically, uh, if you look at verse 3 with me, I'm going to go back to that. We, uh, I'm going to re-reference that each and every week so that uh, if you aren't, haven't been with us or you aren't aware of this, you, you become aware of uh, what is happening here. And can, so kind of picture this with me. In verse 3 of Matthew 24, it says, As he sat on, and he here is Jesus, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And so picture Jesus on the Mount of Olives, which is just adjacent to the Temple Mount. And his disciples come to him privately, so we can identify here Jesus is talking to his followers. There were times in Scripture where Jesus is speaking broadly to large groups of people, where you may have some who were following Jesus and others who were just kind of curious. Well, Jesus here in this teaching is proclaiming a truth and, and really answering questions to those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay? And the disciples asked these two questions. Look at the second part of verse 
3, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And that begins this discourse that we have identified in uh, a modern day Christianity as the Olivet Discourse that took place on the Mount of Olives. But today specifically, we're going to we're really just going to look at one verse together. And this is really valuable for us to do, just to recognize the amount of challenge and truth we can see in just one verse of biblical text. And so last week we read through verse 5, and we talked about that we should expect uh, false teachers to arise, many false teachers to arise, and ultimately that many will be led astray. And this week we continue along this frame of thought of what should I expect in the last days. And so let's read verse 6. It says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Let's pray and let's commit this time to the Lord, and we're just going to look at verse 6 today. We're going to reference some other texts, but uh, there's a lot here that we can unpack and be challenged with, even if on the surface level we tend to just kind of state that phrase flippantly. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, your word and the challenge that even one verse can bring to us as uh, your church. I pray that you would continue making us the people you've called us to be. Challenge us this morning uh, through your scripture and ultimately through the teachings of your son, Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. So the first recognition here that I want to draw your attention to is in the first part of Matthew 24, verse 6. And you're going to see up here, you're going to see letters like A, B, and C. That's not in the text of Scripture here, but I want you to see that in sequence so you can draw from that uh, these realities Jesus was speaking to His disciples. And the first one of those is you will hear of wars. You will, everyone say will, you will hear of wars. And ultimately, this should come as no surprise to any of you, because regardless of how old you are, you will recognize that the world has been at war constantly. Over and over and over again. In fact, in 2019... It is almost $2 trillion that were spent just focused around military and war around the world. Okay? $2 trillion on just that. But why is this? Why is this something that we should just expect? And understand here, Jesus talking to His disciples, they really were coming at this from the approach that if we look a little further ahead in the narrative, Jesus' disciples were convinced Jesus was going to rule and reign right then and there. They were convinced the Messiah 
Jesus was going to take over and deliver Israel from any and all oppressors and was going to establish his earthly kingdom right then. And so, there's this idea around in their head for the disciples that are going, this could be the end of war. This could be the end of conflict. And Jesus, in this discourse, before he is betrayed, arrested, and ultimately crucified, is telling them, hey, you should expect this. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute. What, what, what are you talking about? And then if you look at the historical timeline of the church and you see that Jesus was crucified somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., and then the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome in 70 A.D., you see very clearly Jesus here in His predictions to His disciples, they were around to see the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about. But as I stated last week, we also recognize that Jesus here is not only speaking directly to what was going to take place in the next few years for his disciples, but was foreshadowing what had to take place before his return again. And to the followers of Jesus, there's a very clear identifier to go, you will hear of wars. You should expect war. Why? First of all, because mankind is sinful. We see that in Romans 3. There's no one righteous. And in fact, in James chapter 4, we see this very clearly. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This applies not only to us individually and the little tiffs that we get into, whether that be with our spouse, with a friend, with other church members, with people in the community. Ultimately, war comes back to selfishness. That sin brings about selfishness and ultimately that every country in the world that is led by a sinful man is going to look out for their own interests. And when one's interests are threatened, when one's interests threaten another's interests, that country goes to war. It's a cycle, historically, time and time and time and time again. This is one of the major reasons we see in Romans 13 and Romans 9 that God has established governing structures. It's also a reason why we're called to respect those in authority and to pray for them. Ultimately, it's because of these things that we believe God will hold all people in leadership accountable for everything they do in that position of leadership. Because God is a just God. And we believe that God will hold us accountable for what we choose to affirm here on earth. So this is something we should expect we should expect this to take place. That doesn't mean this was 
what is God's intended design, we know that from the very beginning in Genesis, that God's intended design was for man to worship and obey and glorify Him. And when sin entered the world, so did this. And the first war we see take place is between Cain and Abel, right? And it has not stopped since. We should expect that. The second portion of this is we should expect rumors, specifically rumors of wars. But if we understand that broadly, we can think in terms of uh, seeing the disciples here, uh, Jesus telling them, expect to hear about wars that aren't even happening yet. And you're going to be tempted to wrestle with this and struggle with this because you're going, well, we had this war over here and now I'm hearing about wars potentially in other places. And oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, over and over and over and over and over again. And now, even further in this day and age, we live in a time when rumors spread like wildfire because the minute there's a rumor that is stated, it goes out on the media or social media and everyone automatically buys into whatever that rumor is. And mass panic ensues. Chaos erupts. In past days, those rumors might have spread across communities or states Now they're globally across nations. And if you don't believe that or understand that, um, when you get the opportunity someday, visit another country and talk to them about what they've heard, even just about the United States. And you will hear all kinds of crazy things. I mean, crazy things. And it's rumors that just spread. And they spread and they spread and they spread. The reality of this becomes as followers of Christ, we should not be surprised when we hear rumors of tensions brewing. When we read about potential conflict stirring up, we should go, well, Jesus said that this was going to happen before he came. But while not being surprised, we should not remain actionless. That is, we're not called to passively or idly sit by, right? And just allow such rumors or falsehoods to be the driving force behind what we do or who we are. And I think about this in terms of, (laughs) so often I will tell people, you and me, regardless of what phase of life we're in, we're a lot like, we're, we're just spiritual toddlers. And the reason I say that is because I see so many parallels to who we are as sinful human beings, to who my kids are. And my kids are prone to take a statement that their sibling or someone else says to them and just blow it out of proportion. Their sibling will say something off the cuff, like, your hair is messy. And the thing that gets reported to mom and dad is, my sibling said my hair is ugly. No, that's not what they said. But that's how it was interpreted. This, this is how rumors start, right? This is how rumors unfold. And it becomes something that it's not. We should expect that, but church, we should not contribute to that. Because we are called to be people of truth. And so Jesus telling his disciples, you will hear of these things. You will hear of wars taking place. You will hear of rumors of wars. So how then should they respond? It's a logical question for the disciples to ask. Okay, Jesus, wars, rumors of wars, what does that mean for us? 
And there's two things I want to give you this morning. Both that were application for the disciples, but are also still application for you and me today. And the first one of those is in the last part of verse 6. See that you are not alarmed. Everyone say not. And we're going to say that again. Everyone say not. See that you are not alarmed. I sat here most of the week, honestly, in this portion of the text because I was so challenged by this. Oftentimes, the only part of Matthew 24, verse 6 that you hear quoted is the first half. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. That's, that's what's going to happen before Jesus comes. So, yep, there it is. Wars and rumors of wars. I've never once heard someone go, Jesus told us not to be alarmed when these things are taking place. Now, I don't know if you recognize what happens in your brain when something alarms you. But when something startles you or catches you off guard or alarms you, it automatically ignites the amygdala, which is really your brain's alarm system. And when the amygdala activates, it stays activated until whatever alarm is going off is resolved. And this creates in you a fight, flight, or freeze response most of the time. And sometimes when your amygdala goes off, it it creates a reminder that is, oh, hey, you might be late to your appointment. You need to get moving. But other times it may be a survival reason that your amygdala activates and goes off because you're in danger. There's a threat. And then when this takes place, it creates in us A response often of anxiety or fear or reaction to whatever has set that alarm off. Now, I don't know about you, but when an alarm is going off, everything else for me seems to go out of focus until that alarm stops going. Whether that's your phone alarm in the morning, whether that's a fire alarm, if you've ever been present when a fire alarm goes off, it is debilitating and you're not thinking about anything else other than get away from this sound or make it stop. When we look at Jesus seeking to prepare his disciples for the last days, his command is don't be alarmed. How do we avoid reacting to alarm? We prepare ourselves to the best of our ability to anticipate what's coming. And if I'm not telling myself every single day that these things are what Jesus said are going to happen, not may happen, they're going to happen before He comes again, the more I speak those truths to myself and the more I claim the promise that I have eternal hope and confidence in Jesus, the less those things are going to be prone to alarm me. Now, I want to preface this in some way, okay? This is not saying in any way, shape, or form that somehow the person who struggles with depression or anxiety or mental health struggles just needs to 
do more of this in order to solve their issues. That is not what I'm saying. Because there's also this reality where we recognize the amygdala operates a certain way and yet there are people whose brains are ill and they need medical help and that is a godsend that we even have the ability to help people who are struggling in that way. So if you are someone who perpetually all the time struggles with this, don't Simply convince yourselves that all you need to do is focus more on Jesus and Scripture and it's going to somehow take that away. That may be true, but it may not. What I am saying, though, is for the church, we tend to be so much more reactive than reflective when it comes to all that is happening around us. We tend to spend so much more time seeing what the media has to say about what's going on around the world than we do what God's Word says about our promise and hope. And when we invest more time into those things, we should not be surprised when we are full of anxiety and there is no hope and there is no peace about what's happening around us because we've taken our eyes off of Christ. Jesus' command to his disciples is that in the expectations of wars and rumors of wars in the last days, they should not be alarmed. Why? Because regardless of what you see happening around you, regardless of what you hear might happen, God is still on the throne. Family, we should have the most hope when, we, when walking through seasons like this. Instead, what we often realize is the confidence that I thought I had in Christ, I really have placed in something else. The confidence that I thought I had in Christ, I placed in my assets. The confidence I thought I had in Christ, I placed in my country. The confidence I thought I had in Christ, I placed in relationships. Yet, in Jesus' teachings, He very clearly commanded not to store up treasures for ourselves on earth because they will be destroyed. And wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. The second answer to this question, how should we respond, is simply this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And this is a message throughout all of the New Testament. This is the desire of Christ as He's walking with and teaching His disciples. And if you haven't read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read them and look specifically what is Jesus calling His disciples to. And He's calling them, watch what I do and do it also. In John 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, He says, this is what I want you to do. I'm modeling for you just as I have done, so you do. In Hebrews 12, we recognize that because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the antidote, church. You want to know the key to having confidence and peace through the most tumultuous of times in our culture and around the world. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
You want to know how you can love people who you greatly disagree with. Whether it's because of choices they've made or opinions they've stated. The worldview they've chosen to represent. Fix your eyes on Jesus. How do I know where I've been fixing my eyes on most? Ask yourself this question. What has the most power to move you to reaction? Is it the truth of the gospel? (laughs) Is it the hope that we've been given in Christ that we go, my goodness, I have so much hope in this because no one can take Jesus from me, so I want everyone else to have the same hope. Or am I simply reacting to what's going on in the culture because I didn't agree with this decision and what's happening over here makes me angry and I feel like my freedoms are being taken away. There is a freedom that will never be taken away because it's given to you in Christ. But I'm telling you, it hurts so much to see... (laughs) from an external perspective, that there are many who call themselves followers of Jesus that care way more about this world looking like what they want than they do about their lives looking like Jesus. And the proof is in what causes us to react most. Are we angry about injustice that we see towards God's creation? Are we angry and frustrated At the taking of innocent life. Are we angry and frustrated at the brokenness of families and homes? Are we only angry because my worldview is being tarnished? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because church, He is the only lasting thing that we can have hope in. So as we... Think about these things. And as we close today, I want you to turn to Psalm 40 with me. Because if I just ended here, there's this kind of weightiness, right? Of going, man, I don't feel so good. And the reality is, in all of this, there is meant to be a hope that we leave here with because of the gospel. The motivation and the reason that we have joy, the reason we have hope, the reason that we can even step out of bed each and every day is because of what Jesus has done for you and me. The gospel, the good news, is this reality that Jesus knew we were incapable of being righteous before God of our own accord. And so He sent His Son to stand in our place. And that in Christ we are redeemed, we are saved, we are secure. But only in Christ. Not of works, so that no man can boast. But it is by grace, through faith in Jesus. And so, 
oftentimes we hold that and we just say, well, I prayed a prayer, so I'm saved, I think, but I just don't have confidence. I want you to know there is hope, not just in the moment that we choose to follow Jesus, but every day that we get up and get out of bed and choose to follow him again. And that's not to say that you get up every day and you're saved again and again and again, but rather that I recognize each and every day the saving power of Jesus is once for all. And I'm going to live and walk in that every day, growing to be more like Him. Why? Because of what He's done for me already. And so in Psalm 40, There's this beautiful hymn that David wrote. And I just want to read this because, and I want to encourage you, in the moments when you are most prone to lose hope, I want you to come back to Psalm 40 and remind yourself not to be alarmed and to fix your eyes on Jesus. This is what this says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. I'm going to go back and we're going to say that again together. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. 
You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Let's hold that promise true. Remind ourselves the promises of God and the hope we have in Jesus. Let's stand together. Father, I'm so grateful that you are a God who is worthy of our worship, who sees the anguish of your people and yet who has brought salvation in Christ. I pray that as we prepare to go from this place, that we would not be alarmed by what we see around us. Rather, we would fix our eyes on Jesus and remind each other of the confidence and the eternal hope that we've been given in Him. Make us more like Your Son, I pray. In His name, Amen.